0: Hello, this is the Drama and Language Teaching Podcast. This is a podcast for language teachers, theater practitioners, drama and education researchers, and anyone else interested in teaching and learning languages with drama and theater. My name is Stefanie Giebert, I am the initiator of the Drama and Education Days, an international conference on performative language teaching and learning, which I have been co-organizing with my colleague Eva Göxel for the last seven years. And I'm the host and producer of this podcast. But actually, in this episode, I will not play a big role but give the stage to Eva, who is interviewing Dr. Erica Piazzoli from Trinity College, Dublin, Ireland. Erica was a keynote speaker at the Drama and Education Days in 2020, and she kindly agreed to talk about a keynote topic, the TPACK framework, in this interview. This framework encompasses several components of teacher knowledge. The technological, T, pedagogical, P, content, C, and the K stands for knowledge. And since this interview is based on the conference, you can find the transcript and the chapter in the respective conference proceedings, which are available for download on the Drama and Education website. I will link to it in the show notes. Also, there will be a link to the diagram that Erica talks about in the show notes. So, if you missed our 2020 conference and are interested in hearing how Erika explores this framework of teacher competence and talks about teaching drama online, this episode is for you.
1: Good morning, Erica.
2: Good morning. Hi.
1: Hi. It's lovely to have you join me and us here in this online setting. Um, we are uh, going to be spending the next half hour or so talking through the keynote that you gave at the two th- uh, 2020, of so the 2020 drama in Education Days, which was uh, online, and um, maybe I should start by just introducing you briefly. This is uh, Professor Erika Piazzoli. She is Assistant Professor in Arts Education at Trinity in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, she will be sharing her thoughts that she uh, first introduced to us in her keynote in 2020. And we'll be revisiting that today. So Erica, I'm gonna share my screen with you and uh, let you take it from there. I'll interrupt you periodically, perhaps with some questions or clarifications, but really I'm just gonna let you uh, talk um, as much as you'd like.
2: Thank you, Eva. Thanks very much for inviting me again to and to giving me to giving me the opportunity to to speak today. Uh, please do. So I'd love if you could interrupt off like, you know, let's make it a conversation, Eva. You know, I don't really want to, you know, talk at you or at the audience. You know, it'd be nice to have a chat. So um in particular the topic I'm discussing is the TPAC framework, technological pedagogical content knowledge. So TPAC, and I'm putting that in The context of post COVID-19 education which was relevant last year and it's relevant this year because here we are you know we're still doing this online and we're still having most of our classes online and I'm also talking about resilience which is um I think uh, a universal value and trait that uh, we've all had to you know uh, rely on for the last 18 months absolutely so Okay, so I'd like to start with uh, Professor Motos. And in particular, I'd like to start with um, a a conference, an online conference that uh, I had the honor to participate in. That was in uh, March 2020. And in that particular conference, what happened is that Professor Motos spoke about the pandemic. It had just basically was just the beginning of lockdown. So uh, Basically, uh, he was um, reflecting upon something that was just starting. And there was a conversation where he mentioned that uh, teacher artists uh, facing the the crisis of pivoting to online had to rely even more so on pedagogical content knowledge and on technological pedagogical content knowledge. And he made a call for uh, all of us facilitators in the arts to rely on on the pedagogical knowledge that we needed to to be able to facilitate something uh, performative and embodied uh, through technology and online. Mm -hmm. So I was very um, touched by that because like many of my colleagues during that time, uh, I was uh, still trying to come to terms with how I could engage my audience in a way which was um, uh, meaningful and uh, and worthwhile online doing embodied work. And so uh, I, you know, I, I actually watched this particular, there's a link there for those of you who are interested. I watched this particular talk several times because there was something within Professor Marto's words that really struck me. And he talked about micro revolutions. He was saying that on each one of us on our journeys, professional and, and personal in life, there's little revolutions that he called them micro-revolutions. And he said that teaching is also a Mm micro-revolution. So I I really liked that. It just struck a chord at the time. And so I used that as a way forward to to continue with with my quest into understanding how to pivot to online. And so first, what I did is I started to think about my own micro-revolutions. So for me, my first, Micro macro revolution was when I finished uh, my formal years of schooling. Uh, I remember at the time thinking, like, knowledge was like an object and I had it all. Okay, so I was 18, I had finished, you know, graduated from high school and I had covered the curriculum from, you know, the first to the fifth year of high school, secondary school. And I just felt like I knew everything because the curriculum was knowledge. And in my mind at the time, I just like I had ticked all the boxes in the table of the curriculum that I had to study to deliver my secondary school exam, you know? And so I was content. That was it, I, I knew it all. I had I had the, the curriculum knowledge and, um, uh, it was a good place to, to, you know, I was feeling, uh, God bless me, you know, and God bless 18 year olds. I, I was feeling like I knew it all. <laughs> then I took a, a trip uh, that, uh, that really changed my life. That was the micro revolution uh, through the desert, the Australian desert. And there's a picture of me there in the trip. I shaved my head, you know, and all that. And that's when I realized that, um, uh, there's more to, <laughs> to, to knowledge, you know, that the, tiny curriculum, you know, of my tiny little high school in the tiny, you know, jurisdiction of Lombardy. So that was for me the beginning point of, you know, a, a journey. And then, you know, I, I taught for for a number of years, and then I, I went on to further education. So I think that Professor Motto's um, words, you know, set me to think and realize that in that very moment, in March 2020, it was another micro revolution for me, for me and many other colleagues. And that was the time where I had fallen into like a comfort zone with my practice. You know, I had a number of things that I had developed and refined and they were working okay. But it was the time for me to actually um, uh, question, you know, my boundaries and then think about how I can continue to do the, the work that I do, but online. So that I had to really skill up, so to speak. So, uh, when uh, Professor Motos mentioned the, um, uh, the TPEC framework, uh, I was um, intrigued and, uh, uh, you know, I'm I have to admit, you know, my ignorance, I didn't know the TPEC framework before that particular chat. I know that it was existing for a long time and some of my colleagues have been using it for ages, um, but I didn't know it. So I, you know, he said, he talked about unas parabritas mas, which means, uh, you know, a few, let's add a few little words. And then he just, you know, basically illuminated us with some fantastic theoretical work. So the TPEC framework by Misha and Cur, it's based on Lee Schulman's pedagogical content knowledge, which I was familiar with. And it basically um, suggests that in order to teach, you need to rely uh, on three bodies of knowledge, uh, content, pedagogy, and also uh, technology.
1: And that technology is what's really <laughs> something that that's, that's really come up for us recently then.
2: Yeah, because you know, like for example, um, Technology can be anything, you know, even a pencil, it's yeah. a, tech, you know, is a, a form of technology according to, you know, the way that they frame it. So um, if you, for example, look at their uh, 2009 paper, now you can see a list of things there, you know, that they um, explain it really well. You know, technology is the board, the whiteboard could be a form of technology, you know, mm-hmm. but then obviously, you know, if you revisit that in 2021, we immediately think about what we had to go through in terms of uh, having to shift our complete uh, teaching and learning um, platforms to online. So just in terms of an overview of this framework. So it was developed in the early 2000s. And uh, then by the time it was 2006, it it became known as the TPCK framework. And every link in there will take you to the actual publication. Now, in 2007, they identified there were some problems with it. And then in 2008, um, the authors changed the acronym from T-C-T-P-C-K, and you know, you can see how it's a little bit difficult you know, to say that to TPAC. Um, yeah, so basically it got a vowel in there. And then in 2009, they uh, came out with a diagram and the diagram, the, these stats are from last year it, in 2020, the diagram had produced 1,200 articles and 315 dissertations and 28 books. Wow. So it's basically, it was well received in the scholarship, you know, and we're talking about teacher education and teacher education and technology publications. Uh, it was so well received, in fact, that it was turned into a handbook for education, educators and it went into two editions. And then in 2019, it got an upgrade or a makeover um, because they added an extra layer, which was context. That was good timing because then, you know, obviously if we think of what happened the following year, um, where, uh, you know, basically it became no longer, you know, like a side conversation for a niche of uh, teacher educators interested in technology, but it became everybody's here and now. So I think having added that extra layer really helped. So what is it? Uh, Firstly, in terms of pedagogical content knowledge, which is um, uh, the foundation of this idea, it's Lee Schulman's idea that in order to teach anything, you have to be able not only to um, teach your subject, you have to have good expertise of your subject, but you have to know how to teach your own subject. Mm -hmm. So I always think about, you know, the very skilled mathematician that graduates with, you know, the best score uh, from, you know, his doctoral year. And then he's thrown into teaching, you know, like a secondary school, in a you know, in a rough area. And he's like, it's not for me. I don't know how to do that, you know. So it's not enough to be very um, uh, knowledgeable of your own field. That's content knowledge. But it's also about having... a knowledge knowledge about uh, teaching and learning, you know, uh, your own values as an educator, the, you know, the schooling culture around you, and then how do you actually teach? How do you actually learn, you know, an understanding of um, uh, learning styles and, you know, and all that. Uh, And then uh, a very important uh, third body of knowledge is the body of knowledge according to Lee Schulman's uh, seminal paper from the sixties that, Uh, thinks about how you teach your own subject and how your particular subject is taught so you know I could have an understanding of I I think I do have some understanding of teaching and learning languages but then if you get me to uh to 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 think about how do I have how do I teach and learn I don't know another subject like that is very foreign Mm -hmm. to me like science for example I'm not sure that you know i could do that with the same confidence as you know language though i have tried and probably failed <laughs> but anyway failure is part of learning we all know that so that's lee Schulman's. but then what the um authors have done Kohler and mishra is they've taken that which is has been seminal sin, since the 60s um and they've added technology mm-hmm. and so they reckon that there are different forms of technology and and By the way, when they say technological knowledge, they don't mean computer literacy. So that's a given, they just mean other stuff. So do go online to tpec.org to find out more. We'll just briefly now go through the next few slides through each body of knowledge.
1: All right, so here we go. Oh, we already looked at, right?
2: Yeah, so that's, that's a link there, 1986. That's when Schulman first um, contextualized pedagogical content knowledge, and the problem, you know, if we go back to the '80s, you know, we can all wear the funky suit and and all that. the The, the problem then was that um, there was a real shift at the time, uh, uh, shifting away from content knowledge, which was very big in the '50s. You know, everyone was like content, 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 but then it was like, you know, in the '80s, you know, past, you know, obviously the uh, you know, the 68 and the 70s era, everyone was like, oh, process, you know, and love. And so everything was about the process of teaching. And basically, Lee Shulman's problem was that the teachers that he was dealing with had no content knowledge at all. So he, w- they had gone on the other side of the spectrum. And that was, you know, he was saying, OK, it's fair enough that we don't just focus on content, but you need, you know, and in between. So that was where he was coming from with technological, with pedagogical content knowledge. So that is the subject matter to be taught, content. Pedagogical knowledge, the teacher's deep knowledge about the processes, like we said, and PCK is the transformation of the subject for teaching. And then in drama, of course, that becomes even more complicated because drama and second language learning, I should say, because there's, it's like an it's interdisciplinary um, relationship. It's like a dance between two subjects, and sometimes they dance together, and sometimes they kind of box. You know, mm-hmm. so you need to make sure that you have do du- a dual understanding. That's what um, Julie Downey and Madonna Stinson have argued in that paper linked there, not without the art, from twenty eight and uh, eleven. So again, you know, just this is like branding. It's not like, I, you know, I don't get anything from showing this twice, if not, you know, just getting to, um, uh, to, to visualize the color the colors now. So pedagogical content knowledge is the green, you know, that's Lee Schulman's, but the dark green in the middle is a combination of all the other bits and pieces, the content knowledge, the pedagogical knowledge and the technological knowledge.
1: And that's really the, the heart of what we're talking about.
2: Yeah. So at TK, uh, technological knowledge is not just computer literacy. That's I think something that in the here and now is for granted, but it's the, it's a state of mind uh, that um, uh, allows us to understand that we always have to upgrade our, our, you know, our, our skills. So it's always in a state of flux. What I learned five years ago about a particular teaching platform or a software is is outdated now and there's no point in, you know, just complaining about it or blocking it. You know, it's just the way it is. We we have to continuously um, uh, dedicate some time to to upgrade and adapt to changes in IT. And that reminded me of Nikki's wonderful keynote about the water methodology, which is very related. And so what it is, is uh, being able to recognize when IT can assist or impede an educational goal. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, a key, key, key skill, I think for the teacher of 2021.
1: I was just thinking that's something I think many of us are still struggling with that, that notion of when can it assist and when does it impede? I don't know if we as teachers are always able to, to gauge that very well, um, perhaps because we don't have enough TK ourselves.
2: Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, it can grow. Like you're not born with it, you know, it's like anything, you know, in training and education. It's just an openness to, to, to learn. So, especially now, you know, I don't think I was ready for uh, the changes that 2020 brought upon my uh, pedagogy, but um, I was open. I wasn't ready, but I was open. So somehow, then eighteen months on, I'm doing all my classes online, and um, and you know they're different, but they're still uh, a worthwhile experience for my students. I hope.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I like what you're saying about having a certain openness, certain flexibility, and, and being aware there are these three fields that all work together, but they some of them might make need more or less work. Um, depending on where we're at. And at least for many of us, I would guess right now, TK is where where we need to
2: focus. I think what the, the reason why it resonated with me so deeply, Eva, is because back in March, 2020, that was the time when I found out that I had to deliver the whole, uh, me and my colleagues, the whole drama summer school online, mm-hmm. um, an intensive drama online and I felt like it was like a, you know a monster like an impossible task
1: yeah.
2: whereas you know sometimes if you name the monster you know if you name what it is that is um, giving you anxiety or you know the, the issue uh, it's so much easier to to tackle it you know so at the time it was like okay so what is it that is a um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, challenging for me. Is it technological knowledge? Is it pedagogical, technological knowledge? You know, is it? So I think that being able to to make sense of the issues that I had to confront, helped me to then be ready for that experience. So yeah, definitely TK, uh, you know, is um, is key, you know, understanding the difference between the different platforms. and what they have to offer in the online Mm -hmm. uh, teaching and learning arena. Mm -hmm. So TCK then technological content knowledge is an understanding of which specific technology is best suited for addressing the subject matter. So if I'm teaching on one day you know I'm teaching music education, another day I'm teaching drama improvisation, on another day I'm teaching um, history of art or you know grammar so there would be very very different um, platforms and also experts within the platforms that would be suited or not so suited for what i'm doing you know if i'm teaching music i need to realize that there's always a lapse you know between what i'm playing and what the student hears so if i want to do an ensemble it's not gonna work you know because they all even if the students play all at the same time you know that like it's going to be deep out of sync so for some things like creating a harmony you know it wouldn't work but then or a choir you know wouldn't work so uh, if then you're doing something different you know like a, a, a particular grammar or anything related to improvisation. You know, there are some bits and pieces that you need to know that will make your life easier or more difficult as a teacher. So for example, the example that I quote there is from last year. Uh, We had been using Blackboard Collaborate Ultra for years at Trinity. And the Trinity policy was only Collaborate Ultra, never go, you know, it was like we would get in trouble if we used Zoom, you know, a few years ago. Uh, because it was not the the platform, you know, uh, allowed by by college. and um, But then we had to make a real case and fight a battle, you know, with the administration and management because uh, Blackboard Collaborate Ultra only supported six video channels, so you could only see six students. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you know, we were saying we can't do that in drama practice. I need to see my students. You know, I need—it's a practice. Like I need to see them. So it took a lot of explanation because, uh, you know, like the, the people that we were explaining that to uh, may have been from a different field. When you're lecturing, you know, in a teacher more teacher centered um, situation. So at, at the moment, then we got a, a faculty license. For, for Zoom and, and Teams, you know. So now it's it's it just sounds so obsolete now, you know, and that goes back to, you know, the state of flux. Things have changed so much in the last 18 months that I, I wouldn't even know how to do any drama practice if I didn't have access to Zoom because um, I'm so used to it. But, you know, if you asked me two years ago, I, I would just say, of course, it's Collaborate Ultra. That's what we use here, you know, so. Now TPK is then even getting more specific and an understanding of how teaching and learning can change where particular technologies are used in particular ways. So uh, here I'm I'm quoting uh, Nikki Abraham's wonderful workshop from last year's uh, uh, DIE 2020. So some of the things she did like the virtual backgrounds, renaming, Muting and unmuting for creating a role and tension. You know, she was muting her mic and going, and it was like creating that tension because we didn't know what was happening. You know, so all of those things um, they are related to a body of knowledge we w- which we would call technological pedagogical knowledge. So first, you need to understand how to teach drama in a way that is engaging. Then you need to understand the actual functions of a platform like zoom and then you need to understand how to put them together another example would be um, you know uh, there is a function on zoom where you can take hide non video participants and that's really useful you know when you want to create a tableau because you can hide on you can ask everyone to have cameras off and then they turn their camera on as they come onto the improvisation and you can create a tableau so that's something that you need to know how to do, the hide non-video participants. And you need to get your students to practice that in advance if they don't know it. So it's a tiny quirky thing which makes the whole difference. And it I think it does relate back to TPK. Um, I'll I'll skip that example now, the inside, outside, and beyond, because I realize we're over time. Of
1: course, but I just wanted to add one thought to what you were saying that I think is important. Um because we've been focusing I think mainly on, on, on the teachers with uh, TPK right now, but you, you just mentioned, and I think it's really important, even the students need to have uh, TPK, especially in this, in this context where we're working on Zoom where they also need to understand how some of these functions work so that they can participate um, uh, uh, as best as they can on, on the technological side as well
2: yeah absolutely now for me in particular my students are all student teachers so even more so because they're training to become teachers themselves but even if they are just you know students in a, either a, a children or young adults or, or adults yeah they need they need that and it's, sometimes it's diffi- more difficult with the adult students who may be a bit more resistant you know in terms of uh, their technological knowledge so that idea of flux, the state of flux, but <clears throat> I think everybody uh, everybody has had to confront their demons on this one yeah. you know so so uh, definitely, you know the students need it as well because for example, yesterday, you know before the my drama workshop, i emailed them. God, sorry, I don't know what happened there. I lost sorry. you for a moment. Before my my drama workshop, I emailed everyone and asked them to you know have an image ready to upload to their virtual background for the improvisation. You know, and just a few tips to prepare that the students. I think you know that's helpful. Finally, the contextual knowledge. That's the layer that was added later on in 2019. So it's the teacher's knowledge of the context. So <clears throat> this sounds you know obvious and cliche but uh, when you're talking about technology some issues related to context can really make the difference. So for example in a context that I have been working on um, because my students when we were working online uh, were joining us from shared accommodations. Then it was, uh, sometimes they didn't put their camera on because it was impossible, you know, because it was like their safety net to have the camera off. And so, although, you know, as a teacher, you're dying to see the screen behind your participant and to see the face, you know, and the lovely expressions, confused, excited, you know, engaged, disengaged, but you just want to see you know, that body language. And if you take the camera off, it's just like cutting off completely the, even the last layer that you're latching on, which is, you know, that sort of power language. But um, sometimes, uh, you know, having the screen off was a way for them to, to feel safe. And that is hard, you know, as a teacher to, to take on because you want to see them, but uh, it was part of the contextual knowledge. So you just have to... Um, accept that. So contextual knowledge is paramount in, in TEPCK. I'm glad they added it.
1: Yeah. I'm very timely as you pointed
2: out. Yeah. So in terms of post COVID-19, what well, we've discussed it, you know, throughout, um, this hasn't, this has gone from a, a subject matter at the periphery or, you know, sort of in the background to something in the foreground. Uh, of uh, everybody's and by saying everybody I mean uh, teachers and teacher educators agenda because we all need to be aware of these bodies of knowledge and, um, and self assess where we're at. Some thoughts that I had back uh, last year. So our role as teacher artist, and that goes back to a question that a Professor mottos had asked in that um, uh, Congress. So honoring resilience, the students' resilience, because they've had to undergo a lot and protecting into emotion. So making sure that whatever we plan with our students is um, uh, challenging enough to stimulate them, but at the same time, uh, uh, distant enough to uh, not over, not burn them, not expose them to themes that are too confronting. So that is related to a modulation of distance, aesthetic distance, not social distance. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, could you just add maybe one or two more sentences about protecting into emotion? Because it's there's it's very easy when reading the slide to read projecting into emotion, which is of course something completely different.
2: It's the opposite. Yeah, so it goes back. so this um, particular phrasing goes back to Gavin Bolton's famous uh, quote. And so Gavin Bolton, one of the founders, the, the fathers of drama education, um, in 1979 wrote and, and in the 80s then wrote about emotions. So in the 70s, you know it was all about creating drama that, that was uh, relating and triggering the emotions. And um, and then there was a move away from the emotions because you know if you have some some teachers stay away from you know anything that is too emotional because then students get overexcited or you know some students may burst into tears it's hard to deal with those sort of things sometimes but uh, what he was arguing is that you do need to engage the emotions all right but you need to do that in a way which is clever. And that is what he calls oblique. So uh, instead of just, um, uh, you know, doing a drama about hijacking uh, hijacking on a plane, you know, uh, you if you have a, a group of students who are all refugees, you know, you may want to do a drama that is still related to um, traveling, but uh, is doing that in a way that is less, um, that is closer to their here and now. So you protect them. Into the drama by creating some emo- creating a framework that can trigger emotions, but um, not overexposing them to too much. Thank you. This is self-explanatory.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think we've all um, discovered our own ways of dealing with resilience. And someone, I remember, someone said it's cliche. Well, is it? Isn't it? I don't know. It could be cliche, but I tell you what, uh, it's uh, it's something that in the last eighteen months we've all had to um, realize, and 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 it's like it's it's just it, maybe it's cliche if you say it, but it's not cliche if you. Um, if you keep it at the back of your mind, so I'm not gonna say it, but I do want everyone to just realize that students, colleagues, uh, you know, people, you know, your boss, your employee, your next door neighbor, uh, your undergraduate, your child in, you know, the kindergarten and his or her parents, you know, we will have to somehow confront these um, uh, presence or lack of and therefore building upon Resilience in um, uh, in our in, in the way that we we have dealt with some of the issues that we've had to confront. So I think is important. Now this goes back to the workshop that I did for the conference last year, and so that was uh, a, an animation of the fantastic flying books of Mister Morris Lessmore. Uh, now pity you didn't record that because you know what it was the first time that I was doing it or maybe the second and it was one of the best ones it was the and when I say best you know I mean it's not competition it was one of the most fun and joyful and uh, um, I suppose we just really got to to um, a sense of an aesthetic um engagement and you know it's almost as if in the last year I've tried to to chase that glimpse you know and <laughs> that workshop was one of my favorite ones you know it was short short but intense
1: short but sweet well I feel very privileged because I was actually in that workshop and it was it was pretty magical
2: oh yeah that's what I was talking before mm-hmm. about before so Bolton that's the actual you know a year that he talked about protection into emotion, whereas in 1979, he wrote about the foundations of the form. And so he talks about direct and indirect handling of a topic through metaphor. Uh, I think this is particularly important when we, you know, want to plan and design dramas about the pandemic because we may not realize that some of our students may have lost dear ones through the pandemic. So for some of our students, Um, it could be a topic that is um, very sensitive. Uh, So there is ways to to deal with it. And also I love John Crutchfield's idea of um, tackling the, uh, the negative emotions in performative pedagogy. So again, not avoiding them, you know, and just sort of debunking the myth that if something is negative, what is negative? There is no such thing as a negative emotion, according to his argument but there's negative, negative ways to address any emotion. So I would really recommend that paper. And finally, uh, so um, Sig Eriksson in Norway, uh, a wonderful drama educator has uh, spent um, his career arguing and explaining the understanding of uh, aesthetic differ- uh, aesthetic distance, which is um, the distance between The role you play and um, the fictional frame that um, you are, um, that you saw yourself in the role. So the gap between ourselves and the role we play. And uh, particularly in that paper there, 2007, he uh, illustrates really well this idea, which I think is key now. If we as drama educators want to plan uh, drama experiences that are um, helping our students to think about the Alienating feelings that have arisen during the pandemic, and most importantly, how to overcome those. So now we're so um, entrenched, and um, we've become uh, almost used to the idea that if you see someone else, you move away.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and like proxemics, you know, is like the devil. You know, you don't want to touch anyone. You know, God forbid, if you want to, uh, you know, come too close to their area. Uh, but. Uh, I think that for some of our students, this, if we don't address it, may, you know, may translate into uh, a, a sense of um, um, a difficulty in, in coming back to social interaction in a way which is, um, uh, you know, uh, human. So it, it'd be nice to do some work when we finally get back into the classroom. It'd be nice to do some work uh, to uh, reinitiate a sense of a, uh, you know, communal space. But um, we need to do that with some aesthetic distance as well, because we can't just say, "Hey, forget about COVID." You know, let's all hug each other. Because we, you know, I can't forget about COVID if I've lost, you know, my best friend or my next door neighbor or my relatives or my parents. Uh, You know, so uh, there's ways to to manipulate aesthetic distance to do that in a way which is um, um, more effective, conducive to learning, and also respectful of the losses of others.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: so yeah just finally if we go back to micro revolutions which was uh, uh, basically where i was at last year when i um uh, put these thoughts together so micro revolutions take us places um it may be uh, hard, you know, to undergo a, a transformation or a crisis, all transformations start with a crisis. So the idea of um, a, a thought, a positive thought for colleagues and for myself as well, that even if you are in that place where uh, basically the, 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 the foundations before you have crumbled and you don't know where you're going, then, you know, that means that there's a new uh, opportunity to to find something different that will present upon itself. And so that's a quote from the actual um, animation there, Mr. Morris, because his life is, he's like at the beginning, you know, he's all setting his own little uh, space and he's writing his, his book and his everyday reality is just, you can see he's just really uh, well settled into it. And then a hurricane comes and just puts his life upside down and then he's catapulted into a new reality and we just see him there wandering on and then magical things happen to him. so I wanted to end on a positive note.